0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday, with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, July 16, 2019. Three years ago this week, Senator Maria Cantwell and then Senate Finance Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch introduced the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act of 2016, Some provisions of the 2016 Senate bill included increasing the state long-term tax credit ceiling, establishing a new average income test, as well as establishing a minimum 4% tax credit rate. A similar bill was also introduced in the House at that time. The Affordable Credit Improvement Act did not pass as a standalone bill that year, but several provisions have been enacted in other legislation since then. For example, the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2018 provided a temporary low-income housing tax credit allocation authority increase of 12.5%, as well as a new average income set-aside test. Now, fast forward three years, and Senator Cantwell has reintroduced the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act, along with Senators Todd Young, a Republican from Indiana, Finance Committee Ranking Member Ron Wyden of Oregon, and Johnny Isaacson, a Republican from Georgia. The House version of the bill was reintroduced. has 48 co-sponsors in the current Congress. Now I wrote a blog post on how the 2019 version of the bill expands on previous versions. I encourage you to check it out on Notes from Novogratik. I'll include a link in today's show notes and send out a tweet. Now turning to this week's podcast, I'll talk about the timing of a possible tax extenders vehicle and the introduction of a bill to make the Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery Program permanent. After that, I'll have a recap of the Treasury hearing last week on proposed Opportunity Zones regulations. I'll close out this week's podcast with a couple of state-level tax incentive updates, one from Hawaii, the other across the continent to Rhode Island. If you're ready, let's get started. Now, in last week's podcast, I talked about how the likely pathway for tax extenders in this Congress is as a rider on must-pass legislation, such as a bill to suspend the debt ceiling. Now, many expect the lawmakers to finalize a deal to suspend the debt ceiling around September, Previous projections indicated Treasury's ability to use extraordinary measures to avoid breaching the debt limit would be exhausted in late September or early October. Well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi received a phone call from Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin last Thursday, wherein he reported the Treasury may not be able to avoid breaching the limit before Congress returns from the August recess on September 9th. So, Speaker Pelosi signaled That she will try to negotiate debt ceiling legislation sooner than that she told reporters last week that she would work on a debt ceiling deal before the august congressional recess this is according to the washington post now speaker pelosi wants to pair a debt limit deal with one to increase the fiscal year 2020 spending caps as i noted last week in a prior podcast if congress does not act defense spending will need to be cut by 71 billion dollars and non-defense spending by $55 billion from the 2019 levels. Now, the House has passed 10 of the 12 fiscal year 2020 spending bills, assuming a substantial increase from those 2019 levels. Now, to maintain maximum leverage, Speaker Pelosi wants to include the spending caps increase with any debt limit deal. However, the White House and Congressional Democrats remain far apart on the spending cap negotiations and there are only six legislative days before July 26th when the House is scheduled to depart for their August recess. At this point, it does not appear likely that a spending caps deal can be struck with the limited time left. Now, I'll monitor the progress of the debt ceiling and spending caps negotiations and report back in future podcasts. The likelihood of tax extenders or other tax provisions catching a ride on this must-pass legislation will be discussed in future podcasts as well. In other notable legislative news, I'll discuss the Disaster Recovery Bill that is receiving urgent attention, especially in light of Tropical Storm Barry's effect on the Gulf Coast. A bill that would authorize permanently and reform the Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery Program was introduced in the House last week. The Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery Program, or CDBGDR, provides states and local communities long-term recovery resources to rebuild affordable housing and infrastructure after a disaster. Now, the legislation would require federal disaster recovery dollars to be distributed equitably with a balance among homeowners, renters, and the homeless. Another requirement is to replace scarce affordable housing for low-income residents by prioritizing a one-for-one replacement of damaged or destroyed public or federally subsidized rental housing. The bill would maintain a requirement that at least 70 percent of federal recovery funds benefit low and moderate income households. The legislation would also provide a time frame for allocating CDBG-DR funding. More specifically, HUD would need to allocate federal disaster assistance dollars within 60 days. That's right, 60 days of Congress approving the funding. Now the lead sponsors of the Reforming Disaster Recovery Act of 2019 are Representatives Al Green, a Democrat from Texas, and Ann Wagner, a Republican from Missouri. Both Representatives Green and Wagner are senior members of the House Financial Services Committee. Now, the bill may be marked up by the committee today. I will provide updates in next week's podcast. In the meantime, we've posted a copy of the bill on our website, and I'll include a link in today's show notes. Now, onto the topic of Opportunity Zones. The IRS last Tuesday held a hearing on proposed Opportunity Zones regulations. Specifically, the hearing focused on the second tranche of the Treasury Department's proposed Opportunity Zones Regulations that were published May 1st. Now you may recall that a hearing on the first tranche of proposed regulations was held this past Valentine's Day. Those proposed regulations were published last October. The Valentine's Day hearing was in DC and was so popular that many attendees had to line up outside of the hearing room. Some people in line never even had a chance to come in, a testament to the level of interest in Opportunity Zones. With that in mind, Treasury decided to hold last week's hearing in a much bigger auditorium in Maryland, just outside of D.C. Last week's hearing was likewise well attended. There were 19 scheduled speakers, and those speakers ranged from accountants and lawyers to developers, CDFIs, syndicators, and economic development groups. My partner, John charetti testified on behalf of the Novogratic Opportunity Zones Working Group. He highlighted three topics and recommendations on how to encourage more investment in Opportunity Zones. The first topic he discussed with the Special Amount Includable Rule for Investments in Qualified Opportunity Fund Partnerships and S-Corporations. Now, that's a mouthful, Special Amount Includable Rule. Well, the Includable Rule provides that in place of an inclusion event, or in 2026, the deferred gain recognition date, that the amount includable in income from the deferred gain for investments in a pass through Qualified Opportunity Fund ends up being the lesser of the remaining deferred gain, and we kind of generally understand that rule, less a statutory basis adjustment, or, and this is where it's a bit different, the gain that would be recognized on a fully taxable disposition of the investment. So that's what the includable rule is, either the remaining deferred gain, less statutory basis adjustments, or the gain that would be recognized on a fully taxable disposition of the investment. Well, the rule is in place to limit taxpayers or prevent taxpayers from avoiding recognizing deferred gain when the fair market value of their interest diminish due to debt finance distributions. Because the statute itself talks about fair market value, not gain recognized in a fully taxable disposition. So, what's the problem? Well, this special inclusion rule is adversely affecting investment in affordable housing and other high impact community development investments. Affordable housing and community development investments are taking a hit because the 10 year gain exclusion benefit is generally less valuable as investors don't anticipate realizing as great an appreciation on their investments. The statutory 2026 inclusion rule provides some benefit, some downside benefit for these types of investments for losses that might be recognized between now and 2026. But as a result of the special inclusion rule, some aspiring investors are turning away from affordable housing and community development investments in Qualified Opportunity Zones. So what's the solution? Well, the Opportunity Zones Working Group recommends that Treasury make a proposed rule that's consistent with the mechanics of the general statutory rule with one exception, that the definition of fair market value be modified to be the net value of the investment excluding debt plus prior cash distributions. Our proposed change would both prevent artificial reductions in investment value through definite distributions and it would do that without adversely affecting affordable housing and community development investors. The bottom line is that our proposal would enable more impactful investments in opportunity zones. So that's the first issue that John discussed. Now, the second topic was the special 10-year exclusion election rule for Qualified Opportunity Fund partnerships and S-corporations. Now, under the proposed rule, an investor in a Qualified Opportunity Fund past through entity can elect to exclude from gross income its allocable share of capital gain from the disposition of opportunity zone property by a Qualified Opportunity Fund, but, of course, only after the investor has held its Opportunity Fund interest for at least 10 years. In other words, after an investor holds a Qualified Opportunity Fund interest for at least 10 years, the investor can choose to exclude from gross income its share of capital gain from the sale by the Qualified Opportunity Fund of Opportunity Zone property. Now I should clarify, this election only applies to capital gains from the sale of a Qualified Opportunity Zone partnership interest by the Qualified Opportunity Fund or other Qualified Opportunity Zone property. The election does not include gain from the sale of property that is ordinary income. And the election also doesn't include any gains attributable to the sale of property by a Qualified Opportunity Zone business by a pass-through entity held by the Qualified Opportunity Fund. So what's the issue with this proposed rule? Well, is the discrepancy between the rule governing the sale of a Qualified Opportunity Fund interest, which allows the exclusion of all gains to the appreciation of all property whether or capital ordinary, or whether the property is held by the Qualified Opportunity Fund or the business. Now, the working group's recommendation is to expand the gain-exclusion rule to apply generally to all gains, a triplet sale of any property used in a trader business by Qualified Opportunity Fund or a Qualified Opportunity Zone business. We do though recommend an exception for the sale of inventory property or property otherwise held and sold in the ordinary course of operating a business. So we talked about the special inclusion rule, the 2026 gain inclusion rule and the 10 year exclusion election. The third topic John discussed in his testimony dealt with the grace period for Qualified Opportunity Funds and Qualified Opportunity Zone businesses to use property in a trader business. So let's start with what the rules are. First, tangible property of a Qualified Opportunity Fund or a Qualified Opportunity Zone business must be used in a trader business to be considered a Qualified Opportunity Zone business asset or Qualified Zone business property. But, or second, the statute also provides that new businesses must be organized for the purposes of being a Qualified Opportunity Zone business with the subtle and implied acknowledgement that a startup period is anticipated. Now the issue with these rules is they do not address whether a Qualified Opportunity Fund or a Qualified Opportunity own business is permitted a grace period to use tangible property in a trader business. And that lack of clarity raises some questions. Such as, if a Qualified Opportunity Fund invests in equipment but it takes time to put that equipment into production, is the equipment not qualified until it's used? Then another question, if a qualified opportunity zones business or a qualified opportunity zone fund constructs a building and after 31 months, the building is not fully completed and therefore not leased, is the building not qualified until the building is placed in service? Or even within qualified opportunity fund uh, construction, the qualified opportunity fund technically doesn't qualify for the working capital exception, so does it even have 31 months for the building to be placed in service? Well, the working group suggests two recommendations for this start of business question. And it means, or we're asking for, a grace period. More specifically, the working group's first or foundational suggestion is for Treasury to provide that tangible property of a qualified opportunity fund or a qualified opportunity zones business not be treated as failing to satisfy the trader business use requirements solely because the tangible property is not used in a trader business before a reasonable start period based on facts and circumstances. This so long as a qualified opportunity fund or business continues to develop and work to put the property into service in their trader business. Now an alternative suggestion is to provide a 12-month grace period for qualified opportunity funds and qualified opportunities businesses to use tangible property in the trader business and have that grace period begin no earlier than after a 31-month period. So those were the three main topics from the Opportunity Zones Working Group issues paper that were discussed at the hearing. Now, the paper itself that was submitted, the comment letter, contains many more. It's over 50 pages uh, of comments uh, and summaries of the proposed regulations. Now, other topics discussed by speakers include implementing reporting requirements, providing flexibility to reinvest interim gains, and more. Now, you may have seen Novogratz was live streaming the hearing on our YouTube channel. If you missed the live stream, don't worry. We've posted a recording of the hearing on our YouTube channel. The video link is in today's show notes and I'll tweet it out as well. We've also posted a transcript of the hearing on our Opportunity Zones Resource Center, courtesy of tax analysts. Also, as always, if you have any feedback on the proposed Opportunity Zones regulations, consider joining the Novogratic Opportunity Zones Working Group. Contact my partner, John Shreddy, for more information. And I'll also include a link to his email in today's show notes. In other news, I have two brief state updates for you. First, Hawaii now has a state historic tax credit. Governor David Ige last week signed a bill to create the credit. There's a $1 million annual cap and the credit will expire at the end of 2024. It's not that large, but it is a start. Meanwhile, Rhode Island's budget for fiscal year 2020 contains a provision that should please investors in Opportunity Zones. A budget provision allows state taxpayers to avoid paying capital gains taxes on additional gains from Opportunity Zones investments after they've held the investment for seven years. As you know, the Federal Opportunity Zones incentive allows that benefit after 10 years. Well, that brings you to the end of this week's report. I do want to note, though, this Thursday, July 18th, Novogratik is hosting the NMTC 101, The Basics, webinar. This webinar will provide a great overview of the new Marcus tax credit incentive and the unique elements of deal structures. I'll include a registration link in today's show notes. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast. Or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogradick and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.